This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called the Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him, and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, They stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. 
Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filling it with sour wine, and put, a, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went out into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God, they said. Tonight on Good Friday... We gather to remember the brutal execution of Jesus of Nazareth, to commemorate the death of the Son of God, and we would call it good. Why? There's something about that that we have to investigate because Mary, Jesus's mother, probably did not consider this event good. His disciples who scattered probably would not have said this event was good. But later on, they would call this night good. Good Friday. So we want to show you a few elements from the Bible of why we would consider this Friday a good event as we look at the crucifixion of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, would you grab it and open up to the latter part of the New Testament to a book called Hebrews chapter two, starting in verse 14. Here we see Jesus through the lens of his priestly work. The author says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Here there are three things that we want you to reflect on as we unpack them from Hebrews 2. That it is Good Friday because he took on flesh. He defeated the devil and he delivers us from death. The first is that the son of God would take on flesh. If anyone other than Jesus had died on Good Friday, we wouldn't celebrate it as good. Look more closely at verse 14 with me. 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, we are humans together, united in flesh and blood, united in our limitations. Our bodies fail us. Our bones break. We might lose our minds. There is a limitation of flesh and blood to humanity. But God is altogether different. He's eternal. He is a spirit. There is no physical body that, that God occupies. And Jesus was him and was with him forever. And Jesus, our savior, took on flesh. He became flesh and blood just like us. So that's the first reason why this is a good Friday because he left heaven and came to earth and lived a real human life with all of those limitations that we would experience. He would experience pain and suffering. He would experience sorrow and sadness, just like we do. And he didn't have to leave heaven and come to earth. He Just think of the glorious splendor that Jesus lived in for all eternity with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. And yet he left that. He didn't hold onto it or grasp it, but he willingly left heaven and came to earth and took on flesh, flesh and blood like you and me. And as the verse goes on, it says that he partook of the same things, partook of all of what it means to be human. So why is that important? It's important because Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to experience those limitations, to feel pain to feel sorrow and suffering like we do. He's familiar with our problems and our challenges and our circumstances that we face in life. And it means that he can provide real help to us. He's not unfamiliar with our needs. He isn't disconnected from or dispassionate about the day-to-day realities of human life. Think about a God who was always in heaven, unfamiliar with what it was like to be a human. We might be able to call on him, but could we believe that he could understand what it, was, what it was like to be us? Jesus took on flesh and blood. But even more importantly, Jesus took on flesh because you can't kill God. And what the verse goes on to say is that a unique kind of death needed to occur in order that, back to verse 14, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So taking on this flesh is a real help for human beings. In this passage, it says that he didn't go to help angels, but truly the offspring of Abraham. This real flesh helps real human beings. And just as you said, this is the way in which God becomes killable. And it's on the cross that we see this work of Jesus being played out. Look at it, it says, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Through death. That means on the cross, through his death, becomes the vehicle of victory over our adversary. A real death defeats a real adversary. And the Bible teaches us that the consequence of sin, that the fallout of sin is death. That death is what it is the result of us sinning. And death is the separation from God. It's an eternal separation from being in the presence or the home, the life of God himself, the consequence of our sin. And so the real power of the devil is tied to our sins. And so he entices us into sin, which brings us into death. 
See, it's the devil himself that Jesus says is a murderer. He's a murderer from the beginning. And his crime, the way he commits it, is to draw humanity into temptation, to sin, and then captures them in death. So that, as the scriptures teach us, stands before God and becomes our accuser day and night, making sure that every single thing we've ever done wrong is not to be forgotten. Everything is to be held accountable. And this would keep us from the presence of God until Jesus, through his death, defeats, disarms the power of death, the devil, by the work of the cross. Now, where do I get that? Well, flip over to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two talks about the victory of Christ on the cross. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, this is the destruction. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. As it's been said, Christ broke the devil's grip on us as he broke the grip of sin over us. But that grip, that disarming can only happen through the shedding of blood. Yeah. The second part of Hebrews chapter nine, verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, sacrifice was a common practice. It was the way that sin was atoned for. Atonement just means that a penalty was paid. And so priests would bring a sacrifice and it would involve the shedding of blood. And blood was the evidence that a death had occurred. And so priests would bring the sacrifice and that sacrifice, that atonement, that penalty that was paid would have a benefit for God's people. But Jesus is an altogether better sacrifice than that. When his blood is shed, and it was, and it's the evidence that he truly died, this is a better sacrifice than the sacrifice that's pictured in the Old Testament because only the blood of Jesus, the perfectly obedient, sinless son of God, only his blood could cover over the sins of all humanity for all history, in the past, in the present, in the future, and happen only once. The sacrifices in the Old Testament were a continual practice. They would happen in regular rhythms. But the death of our Savior happened once and for all time. Jesus doesn't continually need to die. He lays his life down once and only once so that the sins of humanity may be atoned for by his sacrificial blood. And so he has secured your salvation through his blood if you have believed in him because of his death because of who he is, what only he could do, the precious son of God, only he could accomplish it. And he did it by his blood, which must be shed in order that we might live so that he could deliver us from death. So this is why Friday is called good, that Jesus took on flesh, that God did not remain aloof, but became a man, a God man, to pay the penalty for our sins. And it's the sins that he broke, that he, that he forgave the consequences of our sins because he paid for them on the cross, which defeated, disarmed, destroyed the power of the devil over us, that he cannot shame us, that he cannot bring up any of our pasts 
or even accuse us of our present or future sins, which delivers us, delivers us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. It is a kingdom of death to a kingdom of life. Back here in Ephesians, he says, he destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. They were prisoners to this fear of death. You know, I don't care how long ago you look in human history, everyone has always been uneasy with death. There's something about death that never settles well. It's because we weren't built for it. We weren't made to be separated from God for all of eternity. And so there's something that, that humanity fears and, and the devil leverages against us and keeps us in bondage, prisoner, because of these fears. But because of the work of Christ and the forgiveness of sins through the shedding of his blood, those who belong to Christ have been transferred from death to life and no longer fear death. Death will meet us all, but when it meets the Christian, their savior greets them into eternity. See, when death meets you, your savior greets you because he brings you into the family of God so that every wound would be mended, every wrong made right, and you would live in the newness of life. This is why we look back at the work of Christ on the cross and say, this is good. Now we don't remember it just only on Good Friday, but we also remember it at the Lord's table. Yeah. It's our privilege to be able to share a meal together. And so you might need to take a moment to gather the elements that you need in order to share this meal with us. But as we prepare for communion, it's more than just a logistical preparation. It's a spiritual one that we should prepare our hearts. We should search ourselves and stand before God, our father, and know that he is faithful and just as we confess our sins, that he will forgive them. And so we're gonna take a few quiet moments to share our hearts with the Lord, to confess our sins, to seek his forgiveness as we prepare to share this meal together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you as we remember that you took on flesh and that you died a real death so that we might live forever with you. And as we eat this bread, we pray, God, that we would remember and think on the sacrifice of your son, of what it meant for you to freely give your beloved son to the whole world the pain that you experienced as he suffered and died and the purposes that were accomplished by his death on a cross for us. And Jesus, we proclaim your death to a watching world as we eat this bread and we eagerly await your return that you would come back again glorious. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, what it means for us, and we remember you as we eat together. Amen. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was gathered together with his disciples and they were sharing a meal together too. And during that meal, he grabbed some bread and he took a piece of it and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. 
in remembrance of me. It was that Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. That Passover meal was a remembrance of a previous deliverance. Highlighted also here in Hebrews that they would bring them out of a place of bondage, which was a place of Egypt, of death and sorrow, and bring them out and lead them to a place of promise, of rest in the presence of God, where God would dwell amongst his people. And one of the great symbols of the Passover meal was the cup. And so after dinner, Jesus took the cup, which is a remembrance of the blood that was shed back in Egypt of the lamb that was marked on the doorposts of the homes that all who would trust God would be marked by the blood of the lamb. And there he took the cup and said, this'll be a new covenant that'll be established in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins, that all who would mark their life by the blood of Jesus would be safe and secure from the consequences of death. Take and drink in remembrance of him. My encouragement to you is to take this last song as a song of reflection, to pause for a moment and think about the work of Jesus Christ on behalf of us, who are caught in our sins, who are not innocent, but who came so that we would find forgiveness, so that we would be delivered from death and brought to life. 